everyone. How's everybody doing? Gosh, there is so much going on right now in the wake of COVID-19. And it, I feel like it's bittersweet, you know, like on one hand, small businesses are closing. People's livelihood that was there one day is completely gone the next. And the financial devastation of this for some people, you guys, is just, I mean, it's crushing. Not to mention the literal sickness and death people are experiencing along with being quarantined and people are canceling weddings. They aren't allowed to attend funerals of their loved ones. I mean, it all just feels really, really heavy and there is no end in sight at this time, at least at the time of this recording in March of 2020. And I even got an email canceling Justin and I's 10-year anniversary trip to Mexico mid-June, which is three months from now. Like, what in the world? (laughs) But on the other hand, it has brought out some seriously beautiful things as well. I mean, bigger businesses have been giving out programs and stuff for free because everyone and their mother is homeschooling right now. Water and electric companies have promised to either not turn off utilities if they aren't paid, but also to turn back on utilities for anyone who has had them, you know, turned off due to non-payment. I mean, unemployment benefits are being granted. President Trump just got rid of spring standardized testing requirements for students, and they even pushed back tax day to July 15th or something. I mean, there are people in Italy that are videos of people singing with each other off their balconies, and photographers are going around taking pictures of people on their front porches, and churches are like catering tons and tons of food to hospitals. Zoos are putting on virtual safaris for kids. I mean, so many amazing things have come from this also. So it's just like a weird place to sit in. There's this weird tension to feel and be exposed to so much devastation, but also so much goodness in the world that is kind of showing up. It's like humanity just woke up and started being extra kind and aware of each other. And the empathy right now that people have is just rampant. And that is really, really cool to see also. So I don't know. It's just, it's a weird, weird time to be alive right now. Okay, so today we are on the topic of marriage and we are going to talk about a commonly debated question, which is who comes first, your spouse or your children? And this question seems a little weird to me sometimes because it can come off as you having to choose one over the other. And I mean, that kind of seems impossible when it's like your kids or your spouse, but it also makes it seem like you will have to neglect one to an extent just to love the other, which is also kind of extreme. But I just want to talk this out with you guys. I would love to just pretend like we are sitting together on our couches, you know, covered in a blanket, drinking coffee while our kids play. And we just talk through this question because I think it's really interesting, actually. But first, I want to give you my answer. I believe your spouse ranks higher than your children. I believe your husband, who is your children's stepfather, ranks higher than your children. I think your children rank higher than your boyfriend if he is not the father of your children. A husband, you guys, gets privileges that a boyfriend just should not have. And one of those privileges is being ranked higher than your children. And to be clear... And just lay a foundation for the perspective I will give in this episode. I believe that both the mom and the dad, and I'm talking, I don't care if you're biological, adoptive, step, the whole gamut. I believe that they would completely die for their children. Like if Justin had a gun to his head and had to choose who would die, he would not pick our children and I wouldn't pick him. 
and not to be morbid, but I think it's important to understand that moms and dads, you guys would just lay down their life for their children. So when we talk about putting our spouse first, it's with the understanding that underneath everything, our kids really do rank first when it comes to life or death. But y'all, who is out there holding a gun to our head and making us choose that option? No one (laughs) outside of maybe some creepy people on criminal minds, right? So we need to stick within the expected reality that everyone is going to (laughs) live and we are just working to make the best, most stable life for our families. And that can only happen if we prioritize our spouse over our children. And if you are a believer, then I will say the order really is God first and then your husband and then your kids, because God is where we get the grace and the humility and the example to love and to be loved. And good Lord, we'd all have successful marriages if we all just loved like Jesus did. But for this episode, let's just focus on the husband-kid dynamic. So first, I want to talk to you about the effects that divorce has on our children. And I want to put a disclaimer here that if divorce is fresh in your life right now and you have children, this next little bit may be discouraging to you and I want to be sensitive to that. So now may not be the best time to listen to this next little bit and If this is you, if you are in the midst of a separation or a divorce, girl, I see you. I don't know your situation, but just hear that you are loved and you are worthy of love and God can redeem any situation. And as Torin Wells says in one of my favorite, favorite songs, you are not forgotten because grace knows your name. I also know that there are plenty of second and even third marriages that are absolutely beautiful and wonderful. But even still, y'all, we are going to lean in because it's important. It's important to understand the effects broken marriages have on a family. And I'm going to link to everything that I'm saying here in the show notes. So parental divorce adversely affects a variety of children's outcomes, including educational attainment. Boys tend to experience conduct issues within the first two years following divorce, and girls tend to experience emotional issues. And then between the third and tenth year following a divorce, children can experiment, experience adjustment difficulties, conduct difficulties, emotional problems, lower academic performance, low self-esteem, strained relationships with their parents. <laughs> it's a lot. And then in adult life, there's a proportion of individuals from families where divorce have occurred and they have difficulty making and maintaining stable marital relationships. They have psychological adjustment difficulties and typically just attain a lower socioeconomic level in comparison with adults who have grown up in intact families. This is pretty sobering, I feel like. Not to mention the impact it has on the adults who were in the relationship that dissolved. Like, if you have went through a divorce, you know, like, it includes huge life changes, including where you live. I mean, your social circles, your roles change. And usually within the first two years of divorce, health issues can arise just from the stress and the intense amount of adjustment that's needed. And there's also just this huge emotional strain and this loss of your known way of life up to this point. And then just navigating new territories such as like being a single parent. And women actually in particular, more so than men, struggle with their identity after a separation because many, many, many women 
especially stay-at-home moms, will put their identity in their husband and in their children. I mean, that's a mess, you guys. And I, like I said, I don't, I don't even think that gets into the half of it. And before we start this next conversation, I hope I don't need to say this, but I'm just going to go there anyways. Divorce is sometimes needed. Abuse is never okay. Um, if you are in the midst of a divorce or leaving due to abuse or something else that's major, hear me. And really anyone who has been through a divorce, hear me. All of these stats are just saying kids coming from a divorced family have higher risks with all of that. And we talked back in episode seven, it's called Shattering Self-Limiting Beliefs. We talked about the difference between being predisposed or having a higher risk for something and being predestined to have something. Ultimately, you guys, it's up to us. And it's up to us to choose what we do with our life and experiences. And things like this can really shape us, sure. But they don't have the final say. We do. We, like, we have the final say. And one of the biggest things we can teach our children which I also talk about in episode seven, is coping skills. The higher and more advanced coping skills we can teach ourselves and our children, the more of a leg up, you know, that they will have on these negative experiences that they have to endure. So nothing is hopeless and things happen and divorce rates are actually at a 40-year low as of 2018. Although there's kind of a lot of factors in play with that, like the amount of people who are choosing not to marry, But either way, let's get back to how we can prioritize our spouse in our marriage. And I'm going to talk about a couple ideas we can do, and I hope you take at least one of them and run with it. Justin and I do some of these, but not all. So I want you just to take what works for you and your family. And I think these small things are really, really important, you guys, because if you grew up around divorce or maybe not being a witness to a successful marriage, I think we can learn that the, you know, learn to not do the big things. Like don't have an affair. Don't be abusive. Okay. Like, okay, I got that. But really when we are preparing a way to change our family's legacy when it comes to marriage, you guys, it's not those big things that we need to look out for. It's the slow fade of forgetting to do the small things in the name of convenience or not having enough energy that can really build up. And then seemingly out of a nowhere, our daggone marriages are suddenly on the rocks because what is easy to do is also easy not to do. But I truly believe, that's a Jim Rohn quote, by the way, what is easy to do is also easy not to do. But either way, I truly believe that we are women who are not naive. We are not immune, you guys, to divorce or a marriage that drifts. We are not immune to selfishness or craving the easy and the convenient. We're not immune to sweeping things under the rug because we just cannot right now. (laughs) Like we know this. So instead, we are women who pay attention to the small and the seemingly insignificant things we can do because we know that these things are actually where the big changes can be made. And we have the power to stop what we are doing, you guys, right this very second, right this very day, and just pivot and choose life for our marriage because broken marriages, you guys, stops with us. So let's talk through some things that we can do to prioritize our spouse. So let's talk about if you get home before your husband, whether it be, you know, you're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom. Because when I was a teacher, I would get home like an hour and a half before uh, before Justin did. So 
what happens? I want you just to imagine, like think what happens when your husband walks through the door? Do you see him as an extra hand to finally freaking help you with all the things and you just start listening, listing like everything that he needs to do the second he walks in the door? Like, hey, can you change the baby and stir the noodles and make sure the boys are cleaning their room? I'm trying to finish, you know, put, cooking this chicken and I'm trying to put these dishes away. Like, is that is that the dynamic right when he walks in? What if you guys, what if instead we stopped what we were doing, even for 30 seconds, we don't burn the on chicken and said, hey, like walked over to him and just said, hey, how was your day? Give him a quick kiss or a hug or whatever to connect. And then you can tell him like, okay, seriously, though, the baby needs changed, whatever, right? Can you help with the X, Y, Z? I don't care. Like when I talk about making your marriage just 1% better, it's this kind of stuff that I'm talking about. And I'm sure that there are people out there that are like, well, I got off work. I freaking worked all day. I went and got the kids from the sitter. I brought them home. I got them fed. I started dinner. I did the dishes, whatever. <laughs> and you did not get greeted like that when you got home. You know, you just jump right in and do what needs to be done. I get that, you guys. But if, we, if it were switched and he got home before you, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be a nice change of pace for you to walk in the door Instead of getting the normal expected like, hey, can you help, help, help with this and this and that and this and that, wouldn't it be nice to have him just stop whatever he's doing and just come and give you a hug and a kiss really quick? You would love that. So let's not just run with the fact that we don't ever get a chance to receive that because we're always the one that gets home first. And so we're not going to give that to him. Let's not be those kind of women, right? Plus, As with literally every single thing that I say in every single episode, we are working on ourselves. We can't change people, so we change ourselves. And more times than not, that motivates people to do better and be better themselves. And I also know couples who, when their husbands come home, they greet their wife first and then their kids. They don't, you know, push their two-year-old away if they want to run up and give them a hug, but it's more like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me give mommy a hug first, okay? And then it's your turn. And the kids have to watch his wife walk up and they get to watch her have first dibs of him. And then he hugs and kisses and plays with their their children. You know, it's subtle, but the point is to put the kids lovingly in their place. Like, hold on a second hold on, let me give mom a hug real quick. And then and then we can play. I mean, I know couples that will um, just take a second and sit on the couch right when their husband gets home or they get home. And they just take 10 minutes. And the kids are not allowed to be up on the couch with them. They are not even allowed to talk to them for those 10 minutes. And again, it's not like they're sitting there telling the kids to like shut up and get away from them. That's not what it is. But it's just a conversation they've had beforehand. Like, hey, Mommy gets daddy for the first 10 minutes and then he's all yours. And so now the kids expect that like, oh, daddy's home. Like, you know, him and mommy are going to talk first and then we get to go and hang out with him. And so those kids just give them that space. And I think it's a very visual reminder for children that, oh, like she comes first and then it's us. And I think I truly, truly believe and I, I, I don't have it, you know, saved for this episode, but I guarantee I could find um, some kind of study that proves this, that I think kids feel safe 
when they know their place in the world and they see a strong and united front with their parents, like they don't feel neglected or rejected. There is a security that you are showing them in that they couldn't, you know, maybe put a name to it, but they feel it. And again, we're not ignoring and neglecting them for the sake of our marriage. It's just subtle and it's communicated and it's taught as an expectation. And for Justin and I, um, we don't let kids sleep in our bed, like at all. That is our bed. It is not theirs. I personally cannot imagine having all five of our children sleeping in our bed throughout the night. So we put a hard, firm boundary there. Now, all seven of us snuggled in our king-size bed just this morning and watched Frozen 2 together. So it's not off limits. It's just not where they sleep. Some of you guys love that. You love sleeping with your children. Totally fine. Okay. So like what would work for my family may not work for yours and vice versa. Another thing that I've learned is to treat date nights like they are million dollar meetings. To treat date nights like they are one million dollar meetings. You guys, you don't reschedule or cancel or even push back a million dollar meeting. Last summer, Justin and I actually had 24 weeks straight (laughs) of babysitting every single Thursday night, 24 weeks straight. We got dinner and we played Satan volleyball together and it was the best and it was something we looked forward to doing together every single week. When we had baby babies, we subscribed to those date box subscription things. I don't know. They were, they were, some of them were cool. Some of them were kind of lame, but it doesn't matter. You guys, it doesn't matter if you have a date night two times a week or once a month, pick a frequency and stick with it. Whether that date is out of the house or in the home once you put the baby down, doesn't matter. Stick with it. And I would encourage you guys to like put it on the calendar. How many times do we try to hang out with friends and we're like, oh yeah, let's get together. Let's do, let's do, you know, whatever. And it never happens. But the second you like actually say Wednesday at six, we are going out to dinner. Then you meet them there Wednesday at six and you get a sitter and you make it happen. Same thing with date night. Oh man, we really need to have a date night. Or It's been a while since we've been on a date or whatever. You guys put it in the calendar. Sit down tonight and say, hey, even in the next month, right? And it's going to have to be a stay-at-home date since ain't nobody leaving the house. But, right, put it on the calendar. And I think it's good to note here that I think a stay-at-home date is not necessarily you guys just watching Netflix once the kids go to bed. You, especially right now being quarantined, do something different than you would normally. If you don't normally do TV, then sure, like plan to snuggle up, make some popcorn and binge on some good TV. But if shows are your go-to every night after the kids are asleep, like Justin and I do, mix it up. We will play games or do puzzles together. We'll just listen to music, have a fun drink. Like I said, we've done those date boxes. We've rented, like actually rented a movie and didn't just binge on whatever show we were watching. So at-home date nights should be a little more intentional and feel different than just a normal, like, let's just put the kids to bed and die on the couch (laughs) at the end of the night tonight, right? Um, Okay, so another way to put your spouse first, which is actually the hardest for me, is by protecting your energy. Oh, man. Um, This will look different in every stage. And this has been hard for me because I'm just now coming out of the fog of a million tiny babies. I mean, I had four kids in six years, but actually there was five pregnancies in there. I nursed for three and a half of those six years and I worked full time for five of those years. So understandably, 
my attention was really focused on our children. And they quite literally took every drop of my energy. And they took my sleep and my body and my patience and my attention and everything in between. And most of that is 100% unavoidable when you're building your family and the foundation of your family with your kids. And especially the way that we did it when we were just like, you know, boom, 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 like one after the other. And Justin is completely amazing because he knew, I mean, he knew the demand that there was on me physically and emotionally and mentally. And he was so, so gracious. And I don't know. I mean, during this time, like I quite literally had nothing left to give because the kids just took everything. And I love them. I love them to pieces. And I would do it over again. I would do it a hundred times over again. But if you've been through the tiny baby, million baby stage, or even one baby, you guys, it's all hard. And it's very draining. There's a huge learning curve. There's a whole whole thing there. And if you are in this stage of the super small baby or babies, give yourself some grace. Oh my goodness. And I pray that your husband does too. But a way that you can still prioritize during this time is a date night out of the house. I remember having some dates where we would literally just go to dinner at Red Robin or some Mexican place and we would barely even talk. We would just eat. (laughs) And I remember at one of our first dates after having our second, which was my hardest postpartum baby that we had, I remember thinking, great. Now that we have kids, we don't have anything to talk about, but you guys, that's not the case. It was just two people that were like utterly exhausted, enjoying their favorite food together. And I want to put a side note in here that, and I wish I would have known this earlier, but I learned in a love and respect um, marriage study that Justin and I did that there are two different ways to hang out with somebody. There is face-to-face time where your attention is undivided and you are having a conversation and you are focused on the other person. And then there is shoulder to shoulder time where you just kind of sit and you just be together. Like when you sit after a long day and put on your favorite show and you're just there with each other, like nothing deep is being said, no life-changing moments are happening. It's just time together. And so I think when... We had the super, super little babies. We did a lot of shoulder-to-shoulder time because that that was all we really had the energy for. But when we are talking about protecting our energy, I just mean pay attention to what you're giving your energy to and make sure there is some left for your husband at the end of most days, even if it is small. Do you need to just sit down? for a second instead of going 100 miles an hour all day long. Stephanie Sims, that would be me. Do you need to just get out of the house for some fresh air at some point? Do you need to drink more water and eat healthier because the kids, you know, leftover grilled cheese just is not cutting it? Maybe it's not doing that last load of laundry for the day or maybe you need to take a nap or not answer the phone call from a friend who always just freaking calls to complain about something. Like what is in your control to tweak whatever throughout the day? And this is going to vary depending on your season. It's also good, you guys, to just practice protecting your energy in general as a mom to pay attention for yourself. Like we give everything to our kids and then our husband. And then if anything's left over, we get to feel human? No, 
nope. <laughs> you guys, you got to take care of you. And that's not selfish. It's not frivolous. I mean, I guess there is an extent where it could become selfish, but you know what I mean. Like being a martyr, even for your family, isn't cute and it's not fun for anyone. And your husband should take care of himself. So he is available. And so let him, let him recharge with some friends. Let him go and do what he needs to do. If he wants to go to the gym or whatever, like it's just important that you both allow space for each other to take care of yourselves. In episode five, I did an episode on self-care. And if you want to learn and kind of lean into what that looks like, what it looks like to actually take care of yourself, I would tune into that. And only you can decide to manage your life and your energy in a way that leaves enough energy for the ones you love the most. And only you can show up as the best version of yourself in each of the relationships you have in your life. And remember, girl, like wherever you find yourself, whatever season of motherhood or wifehood <laughs> you are in, you are already enough because we can be enough just how we are today and simultaneously be growing into a better version of ourselves. But we are who we are right now today. And this is what we have to work with. Our marriage that we have right now and today is what we have to work with. So let's just find one simple thing that we can do to make our marriages and relationships just 1% better. Not 50%, not even 10%, you guys, just 1%. And to be clear, to be very clear, I am not asking you how your husband can be a 1% better husband. Hopefully he is seeking that out as well. Your husbands are not my people. You are my people. <laughs> I am asking you how you personally can be 1% better in your life, in your marriage, in your motherhood. I want you to go do that today. And if you can, head over to the show notes, you guys. Download my free five-day marriage challenge for the week. We have done this a couple of times in this group, and the results and the feedback have been absolutely wonderful. So I really, really hope you guys join in that challenge with us. Join me on the next episode as we head back into mindset. I hope this week is great for you all as we are all navigating this new normal. And if you enjoy the content today, I would love it if you could rate and review this podcast. It helps the podcast gain more reach just to send this message out to other women who may need it. And I look forward to continuing this conversation together and helping you find your grit while completely covering you in grace. Mm-hmm.